Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Horror Weekly, Divisive Horror Films. After years of watching the people who follow our page or in our communities uh, arguing about the movie The Witch, the 2015-2016, I still don't know what year that movie really was, um, directed by Robert Eggers, we just decided to ask. So we threw up a post saying, why is The Witch such a, I think we said polarizing horror movie? And we got thousands of answers, some really insightful stuff. So I'm going to dig into that in a second. But I want to unpack what the idea of a divisive horror movie even is generally. And we'll probably post that general question on the page uh, soon. So keep an eye out for that. I went and looked um, for lists of divisive or polarizing horror movies. I found one that I liked um, from Ranker, which I trust a tiny bit more than just like curated lists because it's theoretically like upvoted Reddit style by fans. So you have some like actual voting going on there. And this list is really interesting. And I think it kind of uh, sheds some light on categories or what are the ingredients that make a horror movie divisive? So the number one film on their list is The Shining which I couldn't wrap my mind around that the most vote that they asked for love, love them or hate them horror movies is what they called the category. And The Shining got the most votes. Number two was Evil Dead 2013, the Fetty Alvarez, uh, I don't know, it's not really a remake, but uh, his entry in the Evil Dead series. Number three is Natural Born Killers. Not a horror movie, but super interesting that it's there. Number four is The Babadook. Totally can see that. Number five is The Mist. Uh, didn't really consider that divisive, but really interesting. Um, in the why people that hate it explanation section of the list, they just cite the ending, which I mean, I guess. But um, I mean, it's the horror genre. What? Number six is Mother, lowercase m, exclamation point, which again, can totally see. Number seven is Midsummer. Number eight is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Number nine is House of Thousand Corpses. And number 10 is Exorcist 3. And then It Follows comes soon after that. So I think there's some things going on here. Uh, first, if the movie is trying something really weird, like not a traditional plot line or with a real art house feel, um, or things that are very extreme, although, I mean, I don't consider the things on this list extreme, but I can imagine if there's a audience that isn't just into horror, but they're, they're horror fans, but they like other things, that some of what is in there could be extreme. But it's really the weirdness factor, I think, is part of that recipe. Number two is if it's hyped at any time as the scariest or really scary. I think that might be some of what's going on with The Shining, which had a reputation for years as one of the scariest horror films ever made, but younger audiences who are growing up on um, Marvel, the Marvelization of movies, um, I imagine The Shining could feel kind of slow, and it undeniably has a low body count, obviously. Um, I vaguely remember the tagline for the 2013 Evil Dead being the most terrifying movie ever made or something like that. 
both It Follows and The Babadook got a lot of hype as uh, terrifying, as did The Witch. Uh, I think I think Stephen King even had said that The Witch was one of the scariest movies he'd ever seen. I've seen some comments in our community about people who got really rattled by Midsummer. So if there's a the scariest ever promise made at any point on any kind of large scale, it might work against the movies in terms of splitting the audience. One of the good things about a theory is it doesn't just explain why things are the way they are, but it also predicts things in the future, right? So let's use this theory to make a prediction. I'm I'm going to predict that Hereditary, which was pretty much universally acclaimed when it first came out, both among horror fans, movie-going audiences in general, and critics, is going to see its reputation drop somewhat as time goes on. Because it feels like it already has the only two ingredients in our divisive recipe so far. The weirdness factor and the, the not, not, not non-linear plot, but like weird art housey plot. And the fact that uh, a lot of people said it was the scariest movie they'd ever seen. And we'll have a way to test this theory because the Horror Weekly Facebook page has almost half a million followers just on its own. That's not even counting the group, which has another 60,000, 70,000. So when we make a post that says, give us your thoughts on Hereditary, we'll know by the responses and by the numbers of what the reactions the post gets, if it's a lot lower than uh, the normal post off the page, and if the comments split or even two-thirds, one-third, that will be a change because when Hereditary first came out and we posted about it, um, it was it blew up. It was a it was a there was almost no blowback against that film. But I have a feeling that might be different, if not now or soon, at least in a little while. We'll see. Now I could be totally wrong about this. I'm only talking from the stance of a horror fan and someone who's part of a large horror community. But I think this backlash is already starting to happen with the Conjuring series. Once in a while, we'll post on the page what's the scariest horror movie you've ever seen or what's the scariest scene in a horror movie. And we choose different images for the posts. Sometimes it's the hospital scene from Exorcist 3. Sometimes it's the floating kid from Salem's Lot. And every time we do a post like that, there's tons of uh, answers in the comments that are like, you nailed it, or that one, or that's the one I was going to say, referring to the image. We did a post about a year back using a picture from The Conjuring. And the comments, there were <laughs> dozens and dozens of comments going, not that one. What a, that Conjuring's stupid. The Conjuring's not scary, etc." Now, this is really interesting to me because The Conjuring felt like the, the empire from Star Wars in the horror genre for, for a while. It felt like it was in control of the kind of films that were getting made or, or how they were. Uh, it was so influential. But if there really is, if it's moving more into the divisive category, that will be really interesting to me. And again... The Conjuring got a lot of hype as 
really scary, really terrifying. And it's so it's got one ingredient from the recipe, right? And we know malignant was divisive, not truly conjuring, but you know, <laughs> related. And at that part of it isn't the fright part of it. That's the weird part of it, right? Like trying something different and mashing up the homages to Jallo and like it's it's doing it was doing weird things that horror movies at that scale and budget don't try to do that much. So another category is thwarting expectations. No Ash in Evil Dead 2013. No Michael Myers in Halloween 3. And no Exorcism in Exorcist 3, although that was changed against the will of William Peter Blatty. So I called this thwarting expectations, but this category might be better labeled as taking a big swing, right? Like, it takes nerve to make a non-Michael Myers Halloween or a non-Ash Evil Dead. Making Michael Myers, quote, weak, unquote, in Halloween Ends made that a divisive movie. And you may not think it's divisive because you may think everyone hates it. But again, I'm using this theory to predict that that movie is going to gain reputation over time, not lose it, because it took a big swing. As a matter of fact, The Shining took a big swing by making major changes to one of Stephen King's very best books. And the other major category of divisiveness is going to be, let's just make it its own separate category, slow, <laughs> right? So if anything seems dialogue heavy, like Exorcist 3, or seems slow in terms of having a lot of buildup because the creators feel like that's going to give more payoff when the things do happen, like It Follows, for example, or Midsummer, which feels like a documentary on uh, students traveling for 40 minutes of its runtime. So we've got weird, we've got slow, we've got Fort's expectations takes a big swing. We've got the promise of being really scary. And that promise of being scary can both be from the audience, it can certainly be from the marketing, right? That's Part of what went so wrong with It Comes at Night, which shouldn't have even been marketed as a horror movie. And that's probably another category, but that category is so depressing to me, I don't even want to talk about it, which is the is it or is it not really a horror argument, which just is so soul-killing and never gets anyone anywhere. So now when we add all these categories together, I think we can see that we've created the recipe for the witch, right? This makes the witch inevitably, if these categories are right, the most divisive horror movie you can make. It's weird. It's slow. It thwarts expectations. It took really big swings. I mean, making a movie set in that time period and making it authentic to that time period. You don't see movies doing that and Pretty noticeable why the marketing before the release of that movie was really effective. And there was a lot of hype about it. I mean, the trailer was just objectively terrifying. But there's something really noticeably absent from these categories. Before I dive into what the community said about The Witch, it jumps out at me that 
bad isn't one of the categories, right? Let's take Evil Dead 2013 as an example. I saw a lot of arguing on our pages recently about that movie. The the people who loved it um, like that it took things pretty far. They like that it was um, scary. I mean, a lot of people actually were scared in the theater. I, I personally saw it in a theater and the audience was t- terrified. And as someone who posts about that movie and had to pull a lot of screenshots to make the images for the post let me tell you it's beautifully shot just the colors um, and the scenes are incredible there were scenes that was like you could just print this out and put it on a wall in a collage and it would look amazing the yellows look really sick ill the reds look really bloody the greens look really mysterious it's uh beautifully made but the people who dislike the movie they were saying that that they were they started by saying that movie sucks that movie's bad but when you pushed them which i insist on doing cuz just coming on and saying something's really good or something's really bad with no reasons isn't what the page is about it's about a dialogue um it's the place for horror fans to have a voice so um once you push them uh they it turned out it was the thwart expectations thing there's no ash it didn't feel like it had the humor or camp elements of the other Evil Dead movies. It was too run-of-the-mill uh, Cabin in the Woodsy. But you got really got the feeling from most of the commenters that if you took the Evil Dead off of this, took it out of the series, and just released this as a horror movie, they would have thought it was pretty good. They just didn't want it to, to represent Evil Dead. That's thwarting expectations. And in retrospect, it's not this profound, right? Like bad isn't a category of divisive because it's just just bad, right? The Poltergeist remake can't be divisive because there's not enough people to stick up for it in the world. (laughs) We all know how I feel about that terrible movie. A lot of critics and horror fans thought John Carpenter's The Thing was bad when it came out. They were wrong. <laughs> it's great. So that movie is not divisive either because quality ha- wills out at the end. The same with Halloween 3. It's a well-done horror movie for its time. But I think a lot of times when we have discussions as lovers of horror, uh, what we're saying bad, we don't really mean bad. <laughs> we mean it aggravated me or it annoyed me or it didn't live up to expectation. And they makes it bad to me. But that's not really how bad should be used. Bad is the movie Friend Request. (laughs) Bad is the Flatliners remake or the Fog remake or the One Missed Call. Those are incompetent. Those are bad, bland, like just trying to make money movies. You may hate It It Follows, but it's not bad. And you may hate The Witch, but it's not bad either. This is a skilled writer-director and a great cast. The Witch is a directorial debut. It only had a budget of $4 million. They spent more than four years on the pre-production trying to get everything right. So much that you see in the movie is just authentic. They used actual Thatchers. I mean, imagine that that's a name of a job to come make the roofs of the houses. Eggers found Cook lenses from the 1940s. They're Panavision 
uh, looking because it gave it more of a vintage feel. It gave Anya Taylor-Joy like her first big break. It won the... Uh, it was nominated for a bunch of prizes. I think it, it was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize uh, in either Sundance or Cannes. It was shot in natural light, and you can see it, which is amazing because all movies now are so dark, I can't tell what the hell's happening. I feel like that Godzilla was the movie from like 2000, what was that, 14? Um, started this trend, and now every movie is just like like a black sock. So to do that, get that cast and make that movie on that little money and make that big a mark with it, it's just not bad. I'm sorry. I love it, but I know a lot of people hate it. So, And speaking of, let's go to what the community was saying about this because we got lots of great uh, replies and insights. So, uh, and they're not, this isn't one-sided. I'm going to give both sides because it is divisive. There was a lot of hate showered on this movie, but some people brought came with reasons. So uh, let's talk about it for a second. Um, Amy McGinnis said, I love it. I love the atmosphere, how it makes you question what you think you know, and the details to the time period. It's dark and entrapping. I love that she used the word entrapping. I think a lot don't like it because it isn't action-packed, gourd-laden, or resonating with modern music and vernacular. And until she said that, I didn't even think of the complete lack of like having to be able to drop modern music into it. Aaron Castwell said, this is subjective. It, it would go well as a double feature with watching paint dry the movie. George Anderson said, I truly believe the biggest reason is its slow pace. With some films, you just have to allow yourself to be absorbed into it, to buy into it. That formula doesn't work 100% of the time, but when it does, it's awesome. I thought The Witch was very good and a truly haunting ending. We might want to add that to our divisive categories, too, is endings. I mean, there's no better way to make a movie divisive than give it a bad ending. There was a lot of hate on the pages for the way Evil Dead 2013 ended. So I think maybe that's the ending. The way a movie ends, that's got to be part of the recipe. Um, so Dan Stevenson said, it's an Eggers thing. I feel like the first time through his movies don't always hit. Watch them again and they get better. Unique storytelling. And the comment directly beneath that was Tracy Nesher said, so good. It's one of those films that's better each time you watch. Matt Trujillo said, I say it's divisive because it had a gutsy ending. There's the. So our question in the post was, why is The Witch such a divisive movie? Troy Reader's answer, even among my friends, some say The Witch is a gorgeous film and a work of artistic brilliance. Others say The Witch is freaking delicious, awesome, and absolutely badass. How will we ever come to an agreement? There was a great comment from Sonia Elizabeth who said, it's a movie you have to have a curiosity about or otherwise it can be boring. It's meant to be dull, but at the same time brings this psychological disturbing supernatural story. I watched it once, barely paid attention, watched it again, let the story tell itself and thought it was great. If you have seen the newer Gretel and Hansel, it is similar in storytelling. It's definitely not for everyone. I get it. But I thought the vibe resonated when I gave it an actual chance for me personally. And there were a lot of comments like this where I didn't like it at first, 
but then I ended up loving it. Atomic Fangirl, great name, said, I remember thinking it was so boring the first time I watched it, even though I intellectually understood that it was a solid film. What up, film studies? But it then really started sinking in the more I sat with it. I think it's fantastic now. Jadio Dunn said, I saw this in the cinema sold out session and liked it. But one guy at the end stood up and said, really, that's it? And then some people clapped. <laughs> and Mario Garza said, I'm from Mexico. In my country, it was opinions divided because people used to horror with many scary jumps. They don't appreciate the horror that takes time to generate atmosphere. Now, for me, The Witch is the first movie I saw in the theater after a death in the family. I was in a really dark place and went in just knowing the basics from the trailer and not uh, expecting much. Um, I don't I ignore the it's going to scare the hell out of you. Hype. <laughs> I appreciate it as marketing, but like being scared is so it's such a subjective different from person to person kind of thing. Like, how is a marketing team going to know it's going to scare me? And I was transported by the experience. It's one of my favorite movie-going experiences I've ever had. It was very personal to me. But amazingly, the audience in the theater that I saw it in unanimously despised it. There were people who walked out. There was an amazing argument in the lobby of the theater after the movie let out that I felt really bad because I don't like usually creep around and eavesdrop but I was so fascinated because I had loved the film so much and it was like me against the room because there were literally people commenting openly during the movie I mean it wasn't a packed house but uh, everyone that I could just from their sounds and their body language looked like they were being tortured and then this group kind of clustered up in the lobby and they were like discussing, can they get their money back? They were outraged. They, they felt like personally insulted by this film, tricked into wasting their life on it. The vibe was hostile. It was a little edgy, like some glass might get broken or things might get thrown. It was a rough rough reaction and it's always just fascinated me ever since so now we've thought through what makes horror movies divisive it's kind of fun for me when it happens on the page the newest example of this is the movie fall the one with the two uh, women on the radio tower anytime the page talks about that movie it's a fight <laughs> it turns into a fight and it seems like a pretty good 50 50 split but message the Horror Weekly Facebook page or uh, Instagram and tell me what I missed about Divisive or tell me your favorite Divisive horror film. I'd love to keep the conversation going. Okay, so we usually do what's the best and or worst horror movie I watched this week. Um, I've got a twofer for you here because the I'm going to do a best that's horror adjacent it's not strictly a horror movie but the worst was definitely pope's exorcist <laughs> and i feel bad saying that because there are some things to like in this movie first of all russell crowe is amazing like almost always and he's based on his character is based on a, a real life father of mort 
Um, Freakin himself did a quasi-documentary on this person. And it's just an inherently fascinating character. He's got, like, lots of contradictions. He's very earthy. He's very worldly, even though he has such an otherworldly job. He's funny, which you don't really expect from an exorcist. He's drunk all the time, which is hilarious. He rides a Vespa or whatever that scooter is and looks ridiculous, which is amazing. And I heard was Russell Crowe's actual idea. Since he saw priests riding around Rome on those, he was like, I need to do that. It's got some decent atmosphere, but it's not scary at all. And it's bland as hell. I've looked 10 times worse after football games than this possessed kid looks. I mean, Regan looked really rough in the original exorcist this kid looks like he put his face through like a screen (laughs) and it has weird contact lenses and in exorcism movies i like the angle of the personal cost the toll it takes not just on the possessed person but on the people doing the exorcism and sure russell crowe takes some hits in this movie but he's thriving man he's having a blast (laughs) like it reminded me of that a conversation that Vera and uh, Matt Damon have in The Departed when they're at the restaurant. And she's a, he's a detective. She's a therapist for police officers. And um, she says that, you know, be careful because if there were no criminals, we'd be out of a job. And Matt Damon's like, I'll just arrest innocent people. I'll never be out of a job. He's like, I'll arrest you right now. Like almost all the other exorcists in movies that I can think of, they really feel like they're trying to eradicate the worlds of demons. Russell Crowe's character feels like he'd be bummed to be out of a job if there were no more demons left. I mean, they discover like a hundred other portals to hell at some point in this movie. And you just get the sense that uh, Russell Crowe's like, I'm right. But unfortunately, the Pope's exorcist suffers from the single greatest crime a movie can commit, which is that it's boring. I mean... There was like almost no one in the theater when I saw this. And the few people that were there were like openly having conversations with each other because the movie just wasn't holding their attention. And then they left. They didn't like stomp out. They didn't leave mad like like the people during The Witch did. They just sort of like trickled out <laughs> like 15 minutes before the end. And they were still talking like amongst themselves. It was like the theater was a meeting place. Uh, with an incidental movie showing on. And I I almost joined them because it was um, pretty dull. Now for some horror-adjacent greatness. There's a 2016 movie called Ripley's Game. This is a character that, yes, the talented Mr. Ripley, um, speaking of Matt Damon, Ripley comes from a famous series of novels by the pretty sinister author Patricia Highsmith. Interesting life story. So Ripley is, at this point in his career, this is later down the timeline from the talented Mr. Ripley era. So now he's basically a serial killer slash killer for hire, incredibly manipulative and devious, could definitely, the way John Malkovich plays him, because he's the star, he's Ripley in this movie, The way he plays him could definitely give Hannibal Lecter a run for his money. But I got literal goosebumps three or four times during this movie. Definitely at the end. 
I'm not going to spoil it because I bet not many people have seen this and I'm, I want everyone to go watch it. But the plot is really cool because now Ripley has become bored of killing people and he's trying to create serial killers. <laughs> like he's trying to manipulate other people into becoming serial killers. He's like a reverse Dexter in this. Um, and he it, it's literally John Malkovich's best performance to me. Amazing. Ray Winstone is also incredible as the character Reeves in this as someone who hires Ripley and uh, ends up getting crosswise with him somewhat. There's an, uh, just a fascinating moment where uh, John Malkovich uh, is with one of his breeding killers who's having second thoughts or is horrified by the way things are going and asks him, like, how do you do this? How do you live this lifestyle? And this is what Ripley says back to him. He says, I'm a creation, a gifted improviser. I lack your conscience. And when I was young, that troubled me. It no longer does. I don't worry about being caught because I don't believe anyone is watching. The world is not a poorer place because those people are dead. It's one less car on the road. It's a little less noise and menace. You were brave today. You made some money for your family. That's all. And then a little later, he says, you know, the most interesting thing about doing something terrible after a few days, you can't even remember it. His inner philosophy and motivation is you, you really don't understand him at the end of this movie. He's very hard to read. I think I understood him and his motivations less than I understood Hannibal Lecter, but I liked it that way because I think Ripley's a little more conflicted and a little less of a serial killer and more of one of those persons who lives in like the dark seams of life where they take advantage of gaps and loopholes to just do whatever the hell they want. He's a little more Tony Soprano. Uh, he's a cross between Tony Soprano and Hannibal Lecter, which is terrifying. This movie has a fantastic third act and finale. The music is phenomenal. I talk a lot of films with a lot of people, and I've never heard a single person mention this movie. So I just wanted to show it some love. If you're looking for straight horror, slasher, whatever, this isn't it. It's uh, more along the lines of seven, but it's definitely worth your time. All right, that's it, everyone. Thank you to all the people who commented and reacted. You're the literally the bones and skeleton of what this podcast is. So if you don't do that, we can't do this. So thank you for doing it. Keep it up. If you're not on the pages, follow us there. And until next Wednesday, have a great horror week.